Well, back to school Sunday. Uh, kids go back to school this week, and I know that's, uh, that's exciting uh, for some people. You got the uh, new backpack, maybe a new pair of shoes, a fresh haircut. Uh, back to school can be a cause of celebration. Uh, some parents are wanting their kids to have that rhythm and routine, uh, need some structure in their life. Uh, but for others, back to school can be a, a, a time of, of sadness. You just feel like, man, summer flew by way too quickly. And uh, when you think about going back to school, there, there are some anxieties that can, that can come up when you go back to school. Think about it. There are academic performance pressures. Students may worry about their academic abilities, the expectations they have to, to, to meet in, in a new grade. Students who struggle with exams, they, they, they worry about standardized testing, about time requirements. And then there's social anxiety, right? There's concerns about making friends or fitting in or just reestablishing friendships over, over a summer break. And then you have those who have to adjust to a new environment. Students who, who really struggle with change, they can feel anxious about moving into a new grade or moving to a new school. There's anxiety about having to, to navigate unfamiliar surroundings. And then for younger kids, there, there's separation anxiety. You, you think of, of kindergartners and those who are a, attending school for the first time, that there may be some anxiety about being away from mom or dad. I remember a couple years ago when, when we moved up here and our youngest son Jude was entering kindergarten and, and it was a, a new school, it was a new city, it was the first time that, that he was away from mom or dad and the first week of school every day he would not get out of the car. And I mean he was, he was a couple hours late for school every day that first week because he, he just wouldn't get out of the car. He was, he was so anxious about everything new. There, there's other anxieties. There, there are worries about getting bullied, or there's worries about peer pressure, about interacting with, with certain students. And then you've got concerns of, of safety and, and violence. I mean, the tragedy is we live in a world where horrible acts of violence have happened on school campuses, and, and so students can feel a little anxious about something bad happening on their campus. You've got anxieties about time management the need to manage academic responsibilities and extracurricular responsibilities and, and personal time, it can all be overwhelming for students. You have the fear of failure. Students worry about performing well academically or meeting their own expectations or the expectations that others have placed on them. You have all the extracurricular demands, the pressure to, to participate in extracurricular activities or to excel in sports or, or certain clubs. Students worry about if they're going to make the team or if they're going to get playing time. And then there's just the anxiety that students have of comparing themselves with other students. How do they line up academically? How do they measure up socially? And worry has become so common among people today that it's simply accepted. It's just something that people assume is normal, and so they live with it, never even considering that it's possible and even healthier to live without it. You'll hear people say, ah, I'm just a worrier. I can't help it. I just, I just worry. It's what I do. It's interesting. You, you'd never hear somebody say, well, I'm just an alcoholic. It's just, just who I am. It's just, can't help it. I'm just a, I'm just a rage monster. I just flip up a switch. I, I just go off on people. I can't help it. It's just who I am. 
Now, even if you don't consider yourself a worrier, you have to admit that there are plenty of things that can cause anxiety in our world today. Think about it. The cost of health care, economic stability, inflation, political polarization, gun violence, social justice issues, national security, our education system, there's drug abuse, there's, there's personal finances, debt, your health, the health of your family and friends, family anxiety, tensions among family members, there's stress at your workplace, there's stress over parenting, time management, there's worry about loneliness and isolation, there's uncertainty about the future, other relationships, social acceptance, and the list goes on and on and on. And I want to share with you quickly just a few things that I find myself worrying about. Now, some of these might sound silly to you. I worry about my kids' grades. I worry about them doing well, and I worry about them falling behind in school. I worry about big expenses, especially as I look on the horizon and I look at the future and I, I think about, you know, college education for three kids. I think about things like paying for weddings. I think about, you know, as they turn 16, I think about paying for transportation. And, and all of these things are, are things that I find myself getting anxious about. I worry about preaching each week. But the pressure of delivering God's word to hundreds of people each week is, is a daunting responsibility, and I fear that I'm going to fail. I worry about letting people down. I worry that I'll lose energy for the things that I really love the most. What do you worry about? Here's the deal. We worry because we think that it will help us cope with those things that are out of our control. If we worry about it, then it shows that we really care about it, right? The reality is worry doesn't work. Worry doesn't work. Worry is a pill that actually makes us worse, not better. It's a remedy that's worse than the disease. Why? The problem with worry is that you doubt that God is in control. You doubt that God is powerful. You doubt that God is able. Worry demonstrates a lack of trust in God. Now, I want to be clear that worry is different from concern. Concern is appropriate when it's directed toward the right thing, when it's kept within bounds, when it causes us to do our proper duty. There's a difference between worry and concern. Scripture tells us not to worry. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. So worry is inappropriate and wrong when it's misdirected, when it's in wrong proportion, when it indicates a lack of trust in God. My guess is you've never thought of worry as a form of idolatry. But it absolutely is when we allow it to take our eyes off of Jesus. We substitute despair, fear, hopelessness in place of God, and we turn to our own efforts at trying to control our environment. And this is the worry that Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 6. 
And we're going to read this passage together beginning in verse 25. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Jesus understands those who struggle with worry. Because the majority of the people who were sitting, listening to Jesus give his Sermon on the Mount were peasants. These were people who barely eked out a living. And what makes it even more crushing is that if those in Jesus' audience did manage to accumulate any sort of surplus, they were required to pay it as taxation to the dominant group of rulers who then used it to underwrite their own high standard of living. And so to a group of people who work to put food on the table every day, Jesus says, do not worry. Because Jesus understands that worry as a universal human struggle, he is emphatic when he tells us not to worry. In the original language, his statement is an imperative or a command. In fact, in, his, in this passage, he states it three times. Do not worry. How? Why? First, Jesus says, don't worry because you are God's prized possession. You are God's prized possession. Jesus uses the example of the birds in the air. A big difference between humans and animals is that animals are concerned with physical needs and that's it. Our life is more than that. Jesus uses a popular form of Jewish argument where he argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, are you not much more valuable than they? You are much more valuable than birds. And if God takes care of the lesser things, then he will certainly take care of the greater things as well. He will take care of you. You know, I believe that many people worry about material things because they have a low understanding of their value before God. They don't comprehend how much God loves them and how much God cares for them. You are God's valued possession. You don't believe me? Check this out. 
In the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're told that humans are more valuable because only humans in all of God's creation were created in the image of God. And in the very next verse, Genesis 1, 28, we're told that, that God gave humans dominion over all the earth and all its creatures. In Psalm 8, verse 38, it says that humans are the crown and the ruler of God's creation. And if you still aren't convinced, we're told in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. You are God's valued possession. Now, notice how Jesus refers to God throughout this passage. He calls him our heavenly father. What's that mean? Well, if God is our father, then that makes us his children. And children tend not to worry as much as adults because they assume that their parents will take care of them. Children don't think, how's the mortgage going to get paid this month? Children don't think about whether or not they're going to eat. They, they don't think about how baseball registration is going to get paid for. They trust their parents. They know that their parents care for them and provide for them. Remember, God is your father. You are his child, his prized possession. So don't worry. Second, don't worry because it won't change anything. Worrying won't change a single thing. Jesus says it this way in verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, many of us, we worry about things that we have absolutely no control over anyway, which makes worry not only foolish, but harmful as well. There was a recent study done on worry, and participants were asked to record their worries and how they caused distress and how they interfered with their lives. And so every night at 10 p.m., they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day. And then, 20 days after that period, they reviewed each entry, and they reported whether or not any of those worries had become true. The good news is, the results of the survey found that 91.4% of the participants' worries never actually happened. Now, worrying, it only caused more misery, and it did nothing to help the worriers handle whatever it was they had been worrying about. And this is mainly because the hotly anticipated events never transpired. 91% of the things we worry about don't happen. I remember when we found out that Tara was pregnant with our first kid, and I was worried. I was so anxious about becoming a parent, figuring out this is daunting, this is new, I'm going to fail. And so I had like a stack of parenting books, and I'm like, man, I've got to become an expert on this. I've got to figure this out. I've got to read everything there is so that I'm prepared. And when the baby came, and that stack of books still sat there, I was like, that's it, I'm done. I'm doomed. I'm done for. It's a wrap. You know, failed as a parent. And what I didn't realize at the time is that the first few months, there's not a whole lot of parenting going on. It's just survival, right? Your job is just to keep the child alive. And I realized, you know what, I actually have time to, to, to read these books. It's going to be okay. And, 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 you know, the world's not falling. 
Can you add even one hour to your life by worrying about it? The obvious answer is no. Now, research shows that worry can actually shorten your life, but you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. The reality is your life is in God's hands. God knows the day you were born, and He knows the day you will die. David writes in Psalm 39, verse 4, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. God is sovereign. Life and death are in God's hands, and you can't add a single hour to your life by worrying. One Bible scholar said, Worrying accomplishes nothing except to put God out of the picture. So don't worry, because it won't change anything. Third, Jesus says, don't worry, because God knows and He meets your needs. God not only knows what you need, He meets those needs. Uh, Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide. Do you believe that? David says in Psalm 37, verse 25, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Now let's be clear, God never promises to meet all of our wants. He promises to meet our needs. And oftentimes we find ourselves or you hear somebody say, you know, God's just not providing for us. You know, God's not taking care of my needs. We say that and what we're really complaining about is God's not giving us what we want. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, that Christians need nothing more than food and clothing. Tim Keller gives us some helpful perspective on this. He says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. We think we know what we need, but only our all-knowing, all-wise Heavenly Father knows our true needs. Last weekend, we had a a big family get-together celebrating my grandmother's 85th birthday. And there were going to be a lot of kids and a lot of cousins there, and I had a feeling that my boys were going to want to play wiffle ball. And so we were sitting in the van getting ready to to leave to take off, and I asked Caleb, I said, hey, do you want to grab the the wiffle ball bat and ball so that you guys can play when we get to grandma's? And he's like, no, I don't really feel like getting it. It'll be fine. And uh, Tara had had headed back in the house to grab something real quick, and I said, listen, why why don't you just run down in the garage and get it? I have a feeling once we get there, you'll wish you would have had it. And so reluctantly, he's like, fine, I'll go get it. So he got it. We get to Grandma's house, and I mean, within five minutes, a wiffle ball game has already broke out. Like, kids are playing, the the ball's being thrown, it's being hit, and I knew, I knew, I knew that he was going to want it. And, And if I know my son that well, then how much more does God know you and me? God knows what we need, and we can trust Him to provide. And so Jesus says, don't worry. Now, the problem with worry is that just trying to stop won't fix it. Right? Somebody says, hey man, you need to chill out. You just need to take it easy. Just stop worrying. Just stop it. Oh, gee, thanks. You think I haven't tried that? You think I haven't tried stop worrying? No, what do we do? To rid yourself of worry, you have to replace it with something else. 
You have to replace those thoughts and those priorities with something greater, something more powerful. And Jesus says that we overcome worry by seeking first God's kingdom. We seek first the kingdom of God. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, when Jesus says seek, he doesn't mean to look for something that isn't there. Remember, Jesus has already announced the arrival of the kingdom. Remember, it's an already but not yet kingdom. In this context, Jesus is telling his disciples to make the kingdom of heaven their center, the very core of their continual daily priorities. Seek his kingdom and then seek his righteousness. Now, Jesus is not telling his disciples that they need to pursue salvation because the disciples' entrance into the kingdom already secured them imputed righteousness. Here's what I mean. Positionally, believers in Jesus are righteous. We have been given the righteousness of Jesus. So, seek his righteousness means that we pursue the experiential growth of the righteousness that we've already received. The question becomes, how do we do that? Let me give you two application points. First, we must replace worry with trust. Replace worry with trust. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So we can take our worries and we can give them to Jesus. He will gladly take them off of our hands because as we've read, he cares for us. And then what do we do? We replace those worries with trust. When we hand him our worries, we trust that he will provide for us. And I think I see this no more clearly than with farmers. Farmers prepare, they till the ground, they plant the seeds, they fertilize, they do everything they can, and then they wait. They trust that God will provide. They trust that the right rains will come. And some of the farmers I know are among the most faithful people I have ever met, and I am convinced it's because they have seen God provide year after year after year. And sure, some years are better than others, but they are absolutely confident that God will move in the, presence, in the present today because they've seen God's provision and care in the past. How do you not worry? How do you trust God to carry you through uncertainty, through challenging situations? Think about a time when you didn't think you were going to make it and God showed up. Use that story to carry you through today. Think of that time where you didn't know how that bill was going to get paid, yet God stepped up and provided. Think of that time when, when you didn't think you would live to see another day, yet God healed your body and you're alive. And think of that time when you were so stressed and you thought you would lose your mind or lose your marriage, yet God provided and here you are today. Worry can cause spiritual amnesia. It can cause you to forget the God who saw you through. 
But you must remember the stories of his faithfulness and how he provided for you in the past so that you can trust him in the present. Replace worry with trust. Second, prioritize the kingdom over material possessions. Prioritize the kingdom over material possessions. Don't seek possessions, seek the kingdom. Our anxieties reveal our priorities. And Jesus says, your life is more than your possessions. Your body is more than clothes. What he's saying is, the concerns of the kingdom are eternal. The concerns of the kingdom are what matter the most. There's this contrast that Jesus creates in verses 31 and 32. He says, the pagans run after these things. He says, it's the pattern of unbelievers. Those who don't understand the Father's care, they worry about material things. But God's children should run after God's agenda. And what's God's agenda? The kingdom. And when we pursue God's kingdom, we do so knowing that God will provide for us in the process. You will have concerns in this life. You will. Jesus is not advocating for a laid-back, hey, whatever happens, happens attitude. Rather, what he's saying is that in each of these concerns, we should express dependence on God. And here's how he concludes this passage. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Max Lucado explains verse 34 this way. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. All the worries and the woes today can do nothing about the cares and the problems tomorrow. And so if you're here and you find yourself saying, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'll do when my kid has their heart broken. I don't know what I'll do when my parents pass away. I don't know what I'll do when... The kids move out of the house. You will when the time comes. Meet today's problems with today's strength. God gives you strength for today. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems until tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow's strength yet. You simply have enough for today. And that's enough. Corey Tenboom says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And so this school year, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Well, what are these things? Every single thing that you need. Every day you make that decision. Today, Lord, I'm seeking you first your kingdom, your righteousness. And when you do that, you've got nothing to worry about. Every week we gather together and we're reminded that God has provided for our greatest need, that God has provided us with salvation. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins and that sin separated us from a holy God that we needed rescue, and there was nothing we could do to rescue ourselves. Only God could make a way, and he did that by sending Jesus to die for our sins. 
Christ's sacrifice was a once-for-all sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Complete and total provision. So as we come to the Lord's Supper or communion, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember that Jesus has made complete provision for our greatest need. The bread, which represents the body of Christ. The blood, or the the juice, which represents his shed blood. And so as we take the elements today, we do so being reminded and thankful that God has met our needs. Would you take the bread? The body of Christ. Let's eat. The cup, the blood of Jesus shed for us. Let's drink. God, we thank you that you have met every one of our needs in Jesus. God, you provide for us physically. You give us shelter, you give us clothing, you provide us with food. We trust you. But God, we're thankful most of all that you've provided our greatest need, which is salvation. That we have a relationship with you because of Jesus. And that changes everything. And so God, I pray that that those of us who are are prone to worry, to get anxious about so many things, God, I pray that, that we would learn to trust you. That each day we would say, God, I'm gonna seek first you and your kingdom and your righteousness. And God, when we do that, we know that you'll take care of everything else. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.